get me first and then, uh, and then my bride. Uh, uh, I'll tell you about a small-town pastor. And, uh, you know, a lot of small churches, it's not real unusual for small churches to struggle with money. And, and this pastor's always looking for ways that he could get a little additional money into the church. And he's touring the church, and he finds this storeroom in the back, and he didn't remember there being cases of Bibles there. But there's cases of Bibles. And he goes, you know what? I bet if we sell these Bibles, you know, I could get a few of the people in the church to just sell in their neighborhood, and we could bring some money that the church needs. So next uh, Sunday during announcements, he makes the announcement, anybody want to do this during the week and, you know, sell in your community, go door to door and sell some Bibles, come see me afterwards. And so afterwards, three people come up to him, and he's really excited about two of them because two of them are professional salesmen from working in town. The other one is Billy Joe Bob that's a farmer on the outskirts of town that not only has limited social skills, but he stutters. So he's going, you know, I got two out of three. I feel good about what God's going to do here. So he has them all pull their vehicles up. He loads these cases of Bibles into the back of their vehicles and says, come meet me before church with whatever you sold. And he kind of looks Billy Bob's direction. He goes, you know, and if you don't sell anything, you know, God will bless your efforts anyway. And so they come back the next Sunday, and these two professional salesmen kind of beam and got their heads held high and says, Pastor, one reaches in his jacket, he goes, there's $470. I sold 47 Bibles at $10 a piece for you. And the pastor's going, that is awesome. He goes, thank you so much. And he's trying to think of some things around the church we could get done. And then the other salesman kind of puffs his chest out and goes, 52, $520 there, preacher. And, uh, and, you know, pretty proud of himself. And uh, he's going, I got almost $1,000 here. You know, think about what he can do for the church. And so he doesn't even, isn't really worried all that much about Billy Joe Bob. And he goes, well, you know, it's okay. And he reaches in his jacket pocket. And he's got an envelope stuffed full of cash. And he says, Billy Joe Bob, how much money is there? He goes, $3,000. And he goes, he goes, that's amazing. And one of the salesmen just couldn't stand it. And he says, how did you do it? He goes, I just went and then knocked on the door and said, would you like to buy a Bible or can I read it to you? <laughs> and, uh, so I say that to say that God does things in different ways than we do them. We decide ahead of time what something's going to look like. We see... I think we were having lunch after, uh, after church last week, and uh, I heard Gary say, he goes, what makes God laugh is when you tell him what your plans are. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, it's, a, it's true, because when we make our plans, God does laugh sometimes, I think. You know, because he has it figured out already, and we can't always tell what it's going to look like. And, you know, there's a, uh, for those of you who go back, in, in Christian rock way, way back, there was a song that Petra did called Fool's Gold that had the lyrics in there. It said, I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. And, uh, you know, you can, you can hear that lyric and you go, I like that. Yes, I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. But when it gets down to it, is that true? I mean, let me ask this question. If I show a hands, how many people like to be embarrassed? None? I mean, do you really want to look like a fool? I mean, that's, that's what that says. You know, you, heard, you even heard Josh say this when he shared last week, because there's been a saying around the vineyard a long time. It says, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. 
So what's risk? Risk is we don't know how somebody else is going to perceive what we do. We're worried about being embarrassed. What's that person going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm just some nutcake off the street? Well, I can tell you personally, and this grieves me for myself, that I've missed out on opportunities to bless people that I see that God has put on my heart, and I don't walk up to them for fear of what they're going to think of me because they're a stranger or because I work with them. You know, what are they going to think if I walk up in the middle of the workday and say, can I pray for you? And I have allowed people to miss out on blessings from God because of how I was worried about how I felt. Now, the reality is, is every time I've been obedient and done that, I've never felt stupid. You know, it never has happened. That's always my fear, but it's never happened. So why don't I do it more? You know, I think it's really easy, because I would bet almost all of you have experienced that at least once, where you felt a prompting from God, and you rationalized why you weren't going to do it. It's not the right time. I'm on my way somewhere. You know, I mean, our rationale usually is tied into the same thing of, how are people going to think of me? You know, there's a, uh, the guy that's the head of the, vineyards out in Canada, a guy named Gary Best, and he was at the Beaches Vineyard three or four years ago and did a conference actually a couple years in a row that was outstanding, and he wrote this book called Naturally Supernatural, and you guys, some of you may have heard this analogy, but I think it's worth repeating. He talks about a, a dream that God gave him, where in this dream, he's at the side of a diving pool, and there's this platform, and he just knows he's supposed to climb it, and so he starts climbing this, and it's tall. I mean, it is way up there in the air, so he's climbing it, and he's climbing it, and he gets up to the top of the platform, and he looks way down at the pool and realizes there's no water in it. And he's standing there, and he hears God's voice say, jump. And he goes, but God, there's no water in the pool. And God said, you jump, I'll fill the pool. And he goes, but God, there's no water in there. And he says, I said, you jump, I'll fill the pool. And he starts out another, but God, and God interrupts him and said, hey, read the book. I'm pretty good with water. He said he knew then God had a sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> but, it's a, but he realized that that story was God teaching him what faith was going to look like in his life. That God was going to put things in front of him, asking him to jump when he didn't know the outcome. When he didn't know what next looked like. He was going to have to take that step off of the diving board and trust that by the time he got down there, water would be there. That's faith. That also might be risk, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, so I want to get into a couple of Bible stories and look at those same stories from that perspective. And uh, the first one you'll find in Joshua 6 if you want to read it later. It's a story you guys all know, Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. So put yourself for a minute being a member of Joshua's army. And Joshua comes to you and says, hey, guys, we're going to conquer Jericho. And here's how we're going to do it. For the first six days, we're going to get all dressed up in our fighting gear, and we're going to march around the city. Okay. And then on the seventh day, we're going to march around it seven times, and then we're going to shout and blow our trumpets and everything. And that's the battle strategy? I mean, can you imagine being the leader and having heard that word from God and knowing how foolish it's going to sound to your men? Okay. 
But that's what happened. And can you imagine, you know, for seven days, and I'm not trying to say something that the Bible's not here because it doesn't say this. I'm, I'm reading into it a little bit. But, you know, if you were one of the soldiers, would you have been walking around that city on any one of those seven days going, this is the most ridiculous thing anybody has ever asked me to do? You know, it's like, how much wine did Joshua pack with him? I mean, you'd be questioning your leader when being asked to do something that foolish. But at the end of that seventh time around on the seventh day, when everybody shouted and screamed and blew the trumpets, what happened? The walls came tumbling down. So an act of obedience that didn't make any sense to anybody did what? Brought victory to them. Can you imagine walking around there? The people in the city, because you know these walls that are around, them, these people could stand on. Can you imagine the people in the city going, "Ooh, I'm so scared! You're walking around the city." I mean, come on, you know. I mean, you as you know, that's exactly what would have been happening. It doesn't say that, but I believe that. I wasn't there, but um, you know, it's a obedience doesn't always make sense. And you know, how about you know, every every kid in Sunday school learns the story of Noah and the Ark. I mean, it's a story that's been told and retold. Movies have been made of it. Cartoons have been made of But if you do some study and you find out that scholars don't all agree on how long it took to build it, but the shortest amount of time that anybody says is 60 years. So can you imagine for 60 years, 60 years, being told to build this boat when you didn't even know what a boat was? In fact, there are scientists that believe that it had never rained before because, as Genesis talks about, a canopy of water above that canopy of water is what caused the rain for 40 days, but that's another story. Um, but the, uh, so they'd never seen rain before. They'd never seen a boat. They didn't need one. They, you know, and so like this guy is building this thing in his yard. And after a few years, animals start showing up and you're going, this guy's nuts. You know, he was the laughing stock of his community. Nobody knew what to do with him. But when God did bring the rains and the skies opened up, his obedience saved the future of mankind as God destroyed everything else. So there's pro there may even have been, and I don't have any way of knowing this, but you know, I know that I have had doubt even when I knew I was in the middle of what God was asking. There may have even been times when Noah's cutting a piece of wood or shaping it onto the ark. He's going, did I really hear God? Was that really what he said? And then when the rain started coming down, and coming down and coming down, there's probably a piece of them that's going, I heard! <laughs> you know, because because that's how we are sometimes, because uh, you know, we, we are the ones who doubt. So one more short little story. This, to me, is, is hilarious when you take a look at it. Matthew 17, starting at verse 24, Peter and Jesus are you know, walking through the town, and they're approached by tax collectors, and they say to, and the tax collector says, are you guys going to pay your taxes? Now, the taxes then, for whatever is worth, was a two drachma coin paid whatever tax it was. And so there were two of them, so they needed four drachmas. Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, you know, now remember here, he's talking to a professional fisherman. Okay? He says, go cast your line into the water. The first fish you catch will have a coin in his mouth. Use the coin to pay our taxes. So it's like, you know, this fisherman has probably caught thousands upon thousands of fish and never found a coin in a fish's mouth. So he is walking down there going, he asked me to do what? And hoping nobody's going to stop him and say, what you doing? 
And if they asked, all he was going to say was going fishing. You know he wasn't going to say, I'm going fishing for a fish that's going to have a four drachma coin in it. You know he didn't say that, or at least there's no way I would have. It would have been probably this little bit of, Jesus told me this, so I have to do it. Jesus told me this, so I have to do it. And not this, oh, wow, I get to go fishing for a coin. There was, you know, there would have been this place of cautioned obedience, I feel like. But then, when he tosses it in there, and I'd be willing to bet the tax collector probably followed him down there, because he want, they wanted their taxes, so probably had an audience of doing this. And so it's like, throws the king out there, oh, a fish, right away. And it's like, pulls this thing in. Oh, please have a coin, please have a coin. <laughs> and then when he pulls it out, it's like, now what's he got? An amazing testimony of what obedience looks like. It didn't make sense, okay? There are, if you read through the scriptures, there are dozens upon dozens of stories like that in scripture, that when God or Jesus asked somebody to do something, it made no sense. But guess what? When you saw the end of the story and what God did with it, you go, huh, that's pretty cool. And so, yeah, I think that all of us, at one time in our life or another, if we haven't yet, we will again, and if we have, we're going to have multiple occurrences of this, that God has put plans in our life that as we look at them, we go, I don't know if this makes sense or not. Could I really do this? Would I really do this? And they even become things that we might, in our quiet times, that we might contemplate and think about and go, wouldn't it be cool of if I got to do this. But we have those and we don't act. Well, I think one of the biggest reasons we don't act is fear. You know, of all the what ifs that can come into that. Other times, we say, okay, God, I think maybe you told me that. Can you tell me again? You know, kind of like Gideon with his fleece. He says, can you tell me again, please? Or, you know, God, if you really want me to do this, I need a sign. How about, um, how about have the sun come up in the west tomorrow? Get up in the morning. Oh, wow, another day when that didn't happen. Guess I'm off the hook. <laughs> I, don't, yeah, I exaggerate, but I think we do things like that where we put God to the test and instead of stepping out with what he puts on our heart. I think other people have recognized what God's putting in front of them. They don't know what it looks like, and they want the courage to take that step off the diving platform, not even knowing if there's going to be water when they get down there or not. I'm going to ask Lori to come up because part of what we're, we want to talk to you about today, what dreams that God's placed in front of you, but to do that a little bit, we're going to share a little bit of what God's doing in us and, and as moving forward for us. So for those of you who don't know us that well, I think it will make more sense if you have a little background. So you're going to get the short Reader's Digest condensed version of our testimony here a little bit. Um, I grew up in Colorado, and I started going to a vineyard in Colorado by an invitation from a friend of mine back in 1985, so uh, yeah, way back in the mid-'80s. And it happened when I got transferred out to Jacksonville, that sa very same friend was going to this church. For those of you who go back that far, if you remember Larry and Terry Collins, those, the, he was a very good friend of mine. So I started going to this church back then, I had, you know, went here for about three years. Things in life changed. My job changed to where I was working on Sundays. Uh, you know, late 90s, you know, I, I went through a divorce. And I started after that, I started going to a, a large church in this area because of their singles ministry. And so I'm going to let Lori catch up from there. 
So my background is a bit different. I came from a very legalistic kind of church background that didn't teach anything about the Spirit. In fact, they taught the opposite. That that stuff was not for today, and you should not be anywhere near that. They gave me all the scriptures. I wrote them down in the back of my Bible so that if that ever came up, I knew exactly, "Uh uh-uh, this is what it says kind of thing. And so I, too, also went through a divorce in early 90s, and at that point in my life, I felt like I was just needing something more. There was more out there than what I had. Um, There was just something deeper. I just felt like I was missing something. So I looked around, and I ended up at the same non-denominational church as well, and um, because mostly I liked the worship. It was the worship that kind of drew me in to to wanting and feeling like I could have that deeper relationship with the Lord there. And so I ended up going to this same non-denominational church that uh, Barton was at, and we were both actively involved in the singles ministry there. And you recognize that this church here was a really good church, and it's a big church in the area, and they didn't outwardly practice the things of the Spirit. They didn't provide ministry times, and they didn't teach the move of the Holy Spirit there. But they weren't legalistic either. And so, you know, as Lori and I went through, you know, long story short, we got married. We blended our families in uh, 2001 and, and kept going there and, and were very involved volunteering. In 2006, I got asked to be on staff there. So I, I went on staff. About two and a half years later, donations were down and I got laid off. And so I, I got to be honest, I didn't really take that very well. I threw some pity parties. Nobody attended. Um, I'm just saying, <laughs> but uh, you know, there were some major cutbacks, and that was, and I was a casualty of that. So, uh, but Lori actually didn't look at it the same way. Um, even though it was a good church for us for a season, I still didn't feel like I was really there. Like I still had that little piece missing, and what was that for me? And so I really felt like our season was ending, and I really couldn't tell him that because he was still on staff, and what was I going to say? Oh, by the way, I think we need to go, but you need to quit your job, or you know what I mean, because we can't stay here and do both. So when he got laid off, it was just like, okay, well, maybe the Lord is moving us on. And it really was pretty awkward being there after he got laid off, even though people were very kind and everything. It was just kind of awkward. So we did end up starting to look. And we, you know, it's like, okay, how do you start looking for a new church? And so we started talking about what was important to us as a church, and we wrote down four or five churches we were going to visit. And I told Lori a little bit about this church and, you know, how it, you know, I'd been here for a while and wanted to come visit one Sunday morning. And this is back 2009 before Pastors Bob and Kathy had, uh, had taken over leadership. And we came in, and I'm going to be honest with you, we had one very good thing happen. Somebody in there. Um, had gotten a word from God for us, wrote it down. It was like two pages long. We still kept it, as a matter of fact, and gave that to Bob and said, hey, these are for the people that are sitting with you. And, uh, and so that was really cool, which, yeah. But we had a horrible experience here. We didn't feel loved, welcomed, accepted. It just, I mean, it couldn't have felt further away from home. We're leaving, and I mean, I, I ran into a handful of people, and and I'm thinking it was an okay experience. And Lori, we're leaving. And she goes, I don't see any reason to ever come back here again. <laughs> and, and so we were we visited a couple other places. And uh, through the, I ran, for those of you who have been around a long time, remember Maurice Samples. I ran into his son and was talking to his son. And, uh, and he told me that his dad was leading worship for a small church plant that met down in St. John's County, St. John's Vineyard, of which we have a few St. John's Vineyardites here. Hi, guys. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, and we went there to hear Maurice 
lead worship, but we weren't, you know, we weren't going to go to a church that set up and tore down in an elementary school. Who does that? And, uh, and so, you know, it wasn't like it was on our list of places to attend, but needless to say, God had other plans, and we visited there, and it, it felt like home, and we were there for like three years, so uh, teardown set up, we were on that team, and, <laughs> and it was all good, so. Well, let's just back up for a second, because before we could get to St. John's Vineyard, he and I had to have some discussions about the Holy Spirit, because, you know, he thought it was for today, I was not, we were in totally opposite camps about that. So he'd get out all his scriptures as we're starting to visit churches, and he's taking me to these more charismatic-leaning churches, right? <laughs> and he'd get out all his scriptures and tell me why it was for today, and I'd get out that Bible that had it all outlined in the back and say, no, it's not. And so... We had our own little discussions about that, and I can remember one night, we were actually, and, and why this would come up right before bed, but it did this particular night, we're getting ready to go to sleep, and we're talking a little bit about it, and he just says, oh, by the way, I have a prayer language, and I speak in tongues, and so does so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and then he rolls over. <laughs> and it just left me like, what? And I'm thinking, Really? In my mind, I think, don't you think we should have had this discussion before we got married? Because, you know, that might have been a deal breaker for me. And so, um, needless to say, um, I started to embrace the things of the Spirit. And I finally call him now my closet charismatic. He was God's plant uh, to get me moving towards the things of the Spirit. And um, as we went to St. John's Vineyard, Pastor Karen Oliver there just spent so much time with me breakfast once a week, answer my questions, same ones over and over and over again until finally the Lord was just really working in my heart. My worldview about that totally changed. So, you know, in that time frame, though, because I told you I've been late, I was trying to figure out what to do. I had 20 plus years in the golf business and two and a half years at a church, no theology degree, no seminary, nothing. So, I mean, I wasn't marketable for churches and the leisure industries were really struggling. And so, going back to gospel, it's like, what am I going to do? And so, you know, did a couple things here. God provided for us in, in some lean times. And uh, we found ourselves both with new jobs and both in downtown Jacksonville. And I come home one day, and Lori says, after being at her job, her, I'd been down there for four or five months, and she'd been down there for like a week. And she goes, what do you think about downtown? And I go, we work there? Not understanding the question, of course. And uh, she goes, no, what do you think about moving downtown? So, now, for those of us who know, you know that we're planners, that we are not really spontaneous people. Well, we decided that Saturday to go down and look and see if we felt drawn towards anything. Well, God moved so quickly that we went down there Saturday, we went down there Sunday, we put a deposit on a place on Monday. Our sale home was for, in Doolington Creek was for sale. The following week, we had a cash uh, offer the week after that. Okay? So if you wonder whether God's hand was in it or not, it was pretty obvious that it was. And so it's like, yeah, we saw God do some amazing details in that. That could be another hour-long story of all the little things we saw him do along the way. But now we're living downtown, driving all the way down to St. John's Vineyard, because that's our church. So and one morning, Lori was in worship and had a conversation with God. Now, I don't feel like I have these back-and-forth conversations with God a lot, like we're having a conversation. But this particular morning during worship, he, we actually conversed about several things. And one of the things he said to me was, it's time to go. And I'm like, okay, where? He said, University Vineyard. I'm like, 
okay, Lord. <laughs> I said I wasn't ever going back there. And, uh, but, you know, we were like, okay, we talked about it. And I'm like, well, Pastor Bob and Kathy are there now. It could be totally different than anything we, it could have been just us because we were in a period of wounding at that time as well, you know. So um, we said, okay, we're going to come back here. Now, um, all this background was so that we could tell you where we've been and where we're going. And just let me say we're not leaving the church. So let's just get that <laughs> out of the way right now. Um, but if you remember last December, and we've talked about it ever since we got into um, our Giving Tree program, which led to understanding that there's refugees in the apartment complex next door, which led to us pouring into those lives. Um, Barton and I particularly just got to know an Afghani family over there and just really um, just loved them. Um, it was that family that the Lord really started to work in my heart um, about, about the refugees and just the need that there is with them over there. So all that, though, and how our heart is stirring now is a result of everything that you guys have been doing all these years because you've been over there when we were before we were ever part of this church and you've been pouring into that on fifth Sundays and then there's been prayer walks along the streets over there pouring in there just walking through there praying for Bible studies for relationship for all of that and everything that's starting to come now is a result of all of that we don't always see it and it may take some while a while but when the Lord starts moving it's amazing how you can look back and say yes there is fruit from what we are doing so um, we continued to pray about, well, what would that look like? How can we become more involved in that? Because our hearts were leaning towards um, just helping them and, and being acclimate, helping them acclimate to America. So um, we started praying about that, and we really felt like we needed to become more invested in it. We just didn't really have a lot of margin in our time with working, both of us working and everything. So we thought, well, what would it look like if we poured ourselves into that community full time? So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to reach out to World Relief and sit down and ask them, has anybody, does this just sound like really crazy, stupid, or has anybody ever done this? And it actually turns out that a lot of people are doing this across the country, and there's a community uh, outside of Atlanta of 100,000 refugees where families have moved in with them and just helped them acclimate. And then there's another couple that lives on the other side of University Boulevard that has been pouring themselves into Arab-speaking Muslims for many, 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 many years now. And so all of this has been, it been coming about and has now led us to the point where we've uh, put down a deposit on an apartment over there. It'll be ready uh, mid-September. I turned in my notice to my job, and Friday will be my last day. And um, we have our condo up for sale. Anybody wants so to buy it? <laughs> <laughs> so Barton's going to continue to work full time, and I'm just going to try and pour myself into at least the women because there's a lot of need with the women over there during the day. And so we're just going to make ourselves available for that um, and just step out because we believe that that's what God has for us at this point. Right. And, you know, we're... You know, it's a it's a stepping out in faith, not having a clue what it looks like. There's 40 refugee families over there, but there's 300 families over there, and so I mean, it, we're not you know we're going to be investing in refugees' lives, but 
we know we're going to come in contact with a lot more than refugees, so we don't really have a clue what this looks like. And as we were kind of realizing this was what God put on our heart, I, I remembered back to when we were having our really fast and everything happening so fast in the Jillington Creek, I kept asking Lori, I said, are we crazy to do this? Are we crazy? And one morning in my quiet time, I said, God, are we crazy? And I know I heard him say back, nope, this one's not crazy, the next one is. <laughs> so I do think I understand now what that meant. And, uh, but, you know, it's, uh, we're sharing our experience with you for this reason. Number one, you know, and we're, we're going to talk about this more in a minute. We do desire your prayers for what we're doing. And if you have boxes, too, we desire your boxes. Not this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> um, but when you realize that God has a plan, which he does for each of us, He's got a way of aligning your heart with his. When the two of those mesh up, you'll find your place. You'll find what it is that God's got out there for you. I believe that God has already or will be planning you know, dreams and visions of what his desire for your life looks like. You know, I know that, you know, we shared this with Bob and Kathy, and, and we've shared this with, uh, with our families, but you guys are really now the, the ones that now know uh, <laughs> and, uh, of what we've got coming up. But, you know, it's a, we've already gotten, as Lori turned in her notice at work and had a bunch of people that she's talked to and, and shared with what she's doing, she's getting people coming back and going, I wish I could do something like that. I wish I could. It's like, well, you know, well, why not? You know, and what God's put in front of you might not require a lifestyle change at all. That's what God's got for us, and we're not saying what God's got for us is what he's got for you. But here's what I do want you to, to realize, and, and, the, and the point of this message. God wants to change the world. He wants to use his people to do it. You know, the portion of the world you're in is not by accident. The people that are in your life, your family, your community, your workplace, your school, none of those are by accident, okay? God wants to change those people, and, you know, I don't completely understand why God has decided he wants to use people to use other people, because we're messed up. I mean, we really are, most of us. You know, I know that thoughts like this can come into your mind when I say something like that. Well, that's great for you guys, but I'm not perfect. I'm flawed, fearful, uncertain, unqualified, and you could, you got a list. All of us have that same list, because guess what? That describes all of us without God, okay? Nothing that he places in front of you is going to be easy without him. It's not going to be doable without him. You know, there are only a small number of testimonies that I have heard from people where God visited them directly, where they had a vision and Jesus was in their room, and those are by far the, uh, the outliers. They're the exceptions to the rule. Almost every person I've ever heard share their testimony, it's been one of two things. They've been loved into the kingdom or they've been prayed into the kingdom. Because here's what doesn't work, judging people into the kingdom, okay? If you judge someone's actions or lifestyle, you are not going to draw them to the king. Mm 
okay? That won't work. I mean, read the news about what prominent people in our country are saying. And you know that all that does is make other people offended about any number of subjects. You can't judge people into the kingdom. It won't work. And for the most part, you can't argue them there either. If they disagree with you and you try to get into a debate, usually it just ends up with both of you sticking your heels in the ground and going, I'm right, you're wrong. Okay? Because, you know, and every once in a while you get an open heart and it gets to be a nice conversation. But a debate rarely does anything either. So, <laughs> so you know, as you get into that, and maybe, as I'm speaking, that there are people and or things that have come into your minds of how somebody did that for you, of how somebody encouraged you and loved on you and prayed for you. And then after you gave your life to Christ, you get the grandma that comes and hugs you and says, I've been praying for you for 24 years. Yeah, I mean, there are people that have stories like that. I got a buddy of mine whose grandma prayed for him for 40 years. 40 years. From when he was 12, she started praying for him, and he gave his life to Christ when he was 52. Okay? You know, I mean, it's, and she goes, what took you so long? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that's a, God will put people on your hearts if he hasn't already that he cares about. He cares about them. That's why he's put you in their lives, because he cares about them. For some of you, it might be just one person, and that's fine. For somebody else, it might be an entire people group. For someone else, it might be a community. For somebody, it might be an entire country. God has placed, or will place, a dream in your heart for, wouldn't it be cool if? And some of you know what that is already and just haven't stepped into that. So is what God placed in front of us going to be easy? Absolutely not. What is fruit going to look like? We have no clue. Will it all, will we always get it right? No way. Too many nationalities, too many things we don't know. We'll be learning as we go along. But if it all was going to be easy, it really wouldn't be God, would it? And so um, this morning we just wanted to take some time because we really felt like there might be some people in here who God has over time dropped some dreams in your life. And for whatever reason, you might not have acted upon them. Or maybe there's others that are just still seeking. What's your plan for me, Lord? I really don't know yet, and I really want to know what it is. And others of you may just be bogged down with all the cares that you just don't even, can't even think about a plan that God has for you because it's just too much weighing down right now. And you know, he says his, um, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So we wanted to take some time this morning to kind of just release all of that. And individually, we just want to sit here this morning and do some soaking prayer. Now, if you've never participated in soaking, it's really just individual prayer with the Lord. Nobody's going to come around you and hover over you or do anything like that. It's just a quiet time for you to just sit quietly with the Lord. It's not a time to give him your whole list of things and your prayer items. It's just a time to sit in his presence and just let him wash over you because his presence is here this morning. And he wants to love on us. And he has things in us, and he has things he's put in us, and he has things he wants to align. And it doesn't mean you're going to walk out here a changed person, but we're all changed when we have a moment to sit just in his presence and just let him speak to us. 
So when I'm done praying, they're going to play some music quietly. And I really encourage you to just sit for a while in quiet presence of the Lord. If you have to get up and go, please do so quietly. And, and it's not a time of talking, and we're going to keep the doors closed. And just keep it uh, an atmosphere in here where the Lord can just move as he chooses. So I just want to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, Father, that you have a plan for each one of us. Lord, you desire to use us. And Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that your spirit would move in this place and just rest upon us and love us and just drop into us whatever you choose, Father. We allow your spirit to move freely this morning in each one of us. And we thank you, Father, for what you're doing and what you're going to do and the plans that you have for this church and these people moving forward. In Jesus' name we pray.